This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. Bet Saratoga this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Go to nyrabets.com for details and sign up today. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan And we are coming to you on a Wednesday evening. You're probably hearing this on Thursday morning. Brendan and I certainly hope that whatever holiday you celebrate, as we are coming off of Christmas, uh, was a good one and you were able to enjoy it and have some time with family or friends or whatever you wanted to do. Uh, But we hope it was good as we head towards the new year here. And the Cubs still haven't really done much, Brendan, unless, you know, and Brendan's a little weird, so it's possible that he had uh, signing Kendall Graveman. I like that I, move. I, I, I don't, I don't have a problem you. with it either, but I, I, I don't think that uh, we all went into the offseason with Daniel Descalso and Kendall Graveman at the top of our wish list, so to speak, but uh, we'll, we'll touch on that in uh, a little bit, a similar signing to the Drew Smiley deal that we talked about last offseason. We will update on the Bryce Harper saga. It's still going, folks, and I would imagine that uh, until we are through New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, I, I think it's still going to be going, uh, if not much longer than that. We'll see. And we will talk about, since we haven't been on since it happened, the Dodgers-Reds trade uh, headlined by Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp, and the ramifications as it relates to, obviously, the Cincinnati Reds gaining some major league talent to put around an already pesky uh, division foe for the Cubs, and also look at what the Dodgers may be doing and how the... uh, you know, now two-time in a row NL champions and World Series losers, what they're doing and how it relates to the Cubs, of course, as uh, the Cubs would like to be the ones making the World Series. Uh, you know, hopefully when they do it again, they they win the World Series, unlike the Dodgers. Um, Who lost the World but, Series two years in a row. Yes, you know, yes. to each their own, right? To each their own. And yeah. then I think at the end, uh, there was uh, a, a good debate that came up on Twitter earlier this week. Uh, dating back to the 2016 playoffs in which, as we were just discussing a second ago, the Cubs won the World Series. And I, we'll, we'll, we'll look at that at the end, just kind of something fun to talk about uh, that isn't a bunch of unsubstantiated rumors, which is basically all we've had to talk about <laughs> for a long while here. But Brendan, 
Uh, how are you? I hope you had a, a good holiday season. Um, it's nice. Anytime I get more than a week off not talking to you, you know, it makes my life a little bit easier. Uh, I don't know how you feel about the same way with me, but, you know, I do need a break from you, Corey, believe it or not. Especially during the season, I talk to you twice a week. It's just too much It's a lot. Me. It's a yeah, lot. It's, you know? it, it's definitely a lot. I don't think either of our families like to talk to either of us that often. So. No. No, no. Yeah, Brendan and I really uh, are pushing each other's boundaries. But I think let's let's start with this this Reds trade, Brendan, because I you know this sure. is really one of one of if not the biggest things that's happened in in baseball so far this off season. And and the full trade goes as such: the Dodgers send Yasiel Puig, Matt Kemp, Alex Wood, Kyle Farmer, and seven million dollars in exchange for Homer Bailey. Two prospects, Josiah Gray and Jeter Downs, uh, who were the Reds' 13th and 8th ranked prospects, according to Fangraphs, uh, respectively. And then I believe on receipt of Homer Bailey, he was released by the Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers, I, I, I think it was saving around $24 million total uh, in this deal, yeah, something so along those it lines. Is, yeah. it, it was, I think, a little north of $20 million. And... So I guess I'll throw it to you to start. Just initial reactions mm-hmm. on the trade as, you know, this does affect the Cubs on on both ends here. Uh, the Reds getting some, some major league talent. Uh, you know, th- that lineup was already pretty strong and, and, and definitely played a, a bit of a, a thorn in the side of the Cubs and I think the rest of the NL Central teams. Um, and the Dodgers... You know, now as we've been looking at all these rumors, suddenly don't have a right fielder, Brendan. Gee, I I, I wonder where <laughs> they might find one, or if we've heard of of any uh, big time right fielders on the market. So I, I guess just your initial reaction to this. Well, my initial reaction first off was I think similar to many people's reactions is like you know crap Harper to the Dodgers, right? Like I thought that I know you thought that I had many friends text me like, oh my God, Harper's going to the Dodgers. And yeah, that makes sense. And to be honest, like that scares the hell out of me. They have all this flexibility. And even looking at the Dodgers payroll prior to this trade, I thought they could have made it work because they still had a little bit of wiggle room. Um, all they had to do was maybe make a deal or two. And what they did, they went out and made a massive deal. So yeah, like this, this does concern me. Now, we have not heard... Any rumors or serious rumors connecting Harper to the Dodgers in terms of like an imminent type move, right? So I guess I I expected that would have happened immediately after the trade, and we have not heard that. So in that sense, I'm kind of relieved. And going a step further, they've been connected to Nicholas Castellanos. They've been connected, although kind of like in whispers, uh, to AJ Pollock. So that's that and could Real be Muto, the logic been of connected to and really since the beginning of the off season, right, right, and Real Mutu as well. So you have this flexibility that's been created as a result of this trade for LA. Is that related directly to Harper? Probably not. Is it potentially beneficial to land Harper? Absolutely. Um, so it, it depends how you interpret it. Now, from the Reds' point of view, that's a great deal. They got three immediately valuable pieces. And Alex Wood, you take away maybe some of the, you know, downs that he had that were influenced by injuries. 
a solid pitcher, a really solid pitcher. Yasiel Puig, a solid right fielder. And Matt Kemp, you know, if he repeats what he did last year, he's going to be about league average, maybe borderline league average. The Reds got better, guys. And you combine Puig with Votto, with uh, Eugenio Suarez, that's a very viable lineup. And we've always known the Reds in years past to have a viable lineup. So I think it directly affects the Cubs both ways. Right. It affects the Cubs because now the Dodgers have more flexibility, which scares me. I think it's just, it should scare everyone. And the Reds get better. And now all of a sudden you look around, you see the Cardinals get better. You see the Reds get better. The Brewers actually may be trying to shed payroll, which is very interesting to me. But the the overall effect of this deal is not really good for the Cubs. It's not, you know, it's not like dramatically bad for the Cubs, but it does give me a little bit of a sense of uneasiness, Corey. Sure. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised at uh, seeing some of the reaction that maybe painted this as a negative move for the Reds or a little confused about the Reds. I mean, granted— I thought it was a great deal. I thought it was a great yeah, deal. Yeah, I mean, granted, like, I, I, you know, I don't think that their overall strategy that they're, you know, entering into right now is necessarily the best. Like, I'm not looking at them to, to be a, a, a big power threat in the National League for years to come, but— you know, you, you get guys who add major league talent to the roster, and if they are, you know, at the bottom of the division again early on, you know, you've got some guys you can move at the deadline. You've got some guys that, depending on the performance, uh, I think I think Puig only has one year on his contract left. Yeah. You know, if, if he's having a good year, you can throw a qualifying offer at him, maybe get a draft pick back when he signs somewhere else in the offseason. I I think it's a good deal for them. And, you know, they already signed Tanner O'Ark this offseason. Uh, you add Alex Wood into that if he's able to stay healthy. You know, the, it's it's a decent team coming together. They have some strong relievers in the back end of that bullpen. So, yeah, they're they're going to continue to be pesky and, and annoying. And, uh, you know, you get some some things go the right way. You know, I, they could, you know, maybe compete beyond that. I'm, I'm not necessarily expecting it. But stranger things have happened, you know. And when you add experienced major league talent um i they'll they'll be an interesting team to watch next year unfortunately for they they need more pitching yeah they need more pitching but yeah from the dodgers perspective i think it's pretty simple i mean i i don't know if this ties into one specific move i I think i agreed most with jeff passan from yahoo sports who who kind of said i i don't necessarily think this immediately sends bryce harper to los angeles even though obviously you know they clear a right fielder it does kind of seem that way um that was your reaction though too that was my initial reaction but as i kind of (laughs) read about it i think i agreed more with with passan's take which was basically right now for the dodgers their the, the name of the game for them is payroll flexibility it doesn't necessarily have to mean x y or z is going to happen right away but it gives them options. If they want to explore a trade for Corey Kluber or JT Rio Muto, or if they want to sign Bryce Harper, whatever, moving money around gives them the ability to look into everything. So I think that's right. the key for them. And and you know, also I would I would, you know, caution that while they may be looking at other outfielders, 
uh, such as Castellanos and, and A.J. Pollock, you know, they do have a lot of young talent on that Dodger team. They're, the Dodgers are obviously, as we've seen how it play, has played out over the last few years, are similar to the Cubs in a lot of ways, especially in the sense that they have a lot of young talent that you can't put everywhere. Like, they, there's not enough spaces on the field for all of the guys, you know, like Alex Verdugo coming up in their system. Like, they, right. they, they may want room for him. It may not necessarily be that they're moving payroll to sign Bryce Harper, they may just need to move an outfielder, and they're going to upgrade at pitching and catcher and, and other areas. So it remains to be seen. But as I think I've said on here before, my general feeling on the Dodgers is they just it, it's pretty simple, right? They, they spend a ton of money every year. They've been doing it for years before even the Cubs were in the position that they're in. They just lost two World Series in a row after losing in the NLCS to the Cubs. They are going to continue spending. They are going to continue trading until they win the World Series. If that never happens, I I don't know what they'll do, but I I think at a certain point, we just kind of have to accept the fact that the Dodgers are going to spend near or at the top compared to any other team in the league, and they are going to go all out to actually win the World Series. So while I would like to see Bryce Harper in a Cubs uniform and not with the Dodgers, so that that particular move would bother me because I, I, I don't want him to go to the Dodgers. I'd like him to go to the Cubs. But the other stuff, it's just like at a certain point, the Dodgers are going to do their best to be at the top of this league. You, you, you know, so they're, they're going to figure out a way to do it. And, you know, you look around, you, you're always going to have teams like the Reds, um, and some of these other teams that are going to help them achieve that goal. It's just sort of the, the, the nature of the business. The Dodgers are always going to find partners, I think, to make this stuff work. So I, it'll be interesting to see the exact strategy that they go forward with, because like you pointed out, Brendan, they, they've been either loosely or seriously connected to an awful lot of talented players um, in, in the free agent market, in the trade market. So it's 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 going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. But what I wanted to ask is is kind of a follow up to that that premise the the, the Dodgers uh, you know moving payroll around to ultimately continue trying to get better coming off of two straight pennants. How do, how do we feel about that from the Cubs' perspective? And at, at what point do you, Brendan, get? I, I guess concerned or, you know, when do you start really digging into what the Cubs are doing saying, okay, this, this team is not in our division, but we have a team in the NL that's won it twice in a row. And, you know, at a certain point you might believe that they're pulling out in front, right? So, so how do you look at all of this? And I guess the rest of this off season, thinking about the Dodgers and, and relating it back to the Cubs, like if the Cubs do in fact not make another major splash. How, how concerned are you if the Dodgers keep doing stuff like this and, and loading up this roster with just star after star? Well, the most disconcerting thing about the Dodgers is they keep bringing up talented young players. And so be beyond the free agent effect from trading Kemp, they're keeping the ball rolling with bringing up, like you said, Alex Verdugo, if they decide to do so and keep him and not trade him for someone like Corey Kluber, whom we've heard the Dodgers are connected to to deal for. So that that's my biggest concern. And then they get back Seager, Bellinger still, even though he had a, a little bit of a down year compared to his rookie year last year, 
still four or five more years of team control. That that's the part that concerns me. Mm-hmm. And right, and and for those of you that were were thinking, oh well, Kershaw's you know maybe on the downturn. Well, here's Walker Bueller. So there you go. Ex- exactly, and like they still have one of the smartest front offices in in the league, and so. I don't really think this move heightens my concern about the Dodgers. I'm always going to be concerned about the Dodgers. That's that's the team in the NL that's right there with the Cubs. So that that hasn't changed. Um, yeah. So I, to, to answer that question, no. Like I I don't think the deal increases my concern. I expected a deal like that, and if this is how the offseason shapes up, and if the Cubs don't make a major move. I, I will be a little disappointed, but I kind of see why. And it's not as if this is the right course to go on. If if we're talking about the Cubs here, honestly, they they have made mistakes with Hayward. They've made mistakes with Chatwood. They made mistakes with Dunsing and Kinsler. And altogether, these dead weight contracts, so to speak, will cost the Cubs seventy million next year. I'm not thrilled about that. However, that does not take away the Cubs' potential because they still have three, four, five years of team control for the majority of their team. So for the next three, four, five years, the Cubs and the Dodgers should remain at the top of the NL. Whether the Dodgers will be better, who knows? Whether the Cubs will be better, who knows? But both teams remain healthy for the next few years from a young, controllable player point of view and at, believe it or not, after this year for the Cubs in 2019, they have financial flexibility. So the name of the game goes to whether or not they can move pieces for next year to make that immediate splash. And if they don't, I think that's kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. I, I mean, we're seven weeks away from spring training, Corey. The, the, the likelihood of them making a significant move I don't know. I just, I'm not banking on it. I think really the, the likelihood is they go into next year with the same core. Maybe they'll trade more for someone, but you're going to see the same guys trotting out there. And if you get a healthy KB back, you get a healthy Darvish back, maybe, honestly, that's the best course to go to for 2019. Yeah, I, I think that that pretty much sums up my feelings. I, I think that ultimately you can't necessarily always try to keep pace with every move another team makes and while you know I was my yeah like you said earlier my initial reaction when the the Dodgers and Reds made that trade was to be worried like okay well now they have this room like what are they going to do with it um again I I think that you you kind of have to do your own thing to a degree worry about winning the division um, and, you know, we'll deal with L.A. when you have to deal with L.A., but you, you can't always look to go punch for punch with uh, a team like this. It's a, it's a dangerous business to get into uh, a situation like that. You know, I think you look at, like, the Yankees and Red Sox, and sometimes uh, trying to trade blows doesn't always lead to the best strategy for your own team. Uh, and I, right. you know, I, look, I, 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 I trust Theo to... Uh, be properly monitoring, you know, the fact he, I think Theo's aware, Brendan, that, you know, they play in the National League and that, and that other teams, you know, obviously stand to get in the way of what they're trying to do. So can I, I, think, can I ask you, can I ask you a question here, Corey? Sure. Okay. So here's the main, and I keep coming back to this too. Would you have sacrificed 
the Bryce Harper acquisition for one year of Cole Hamels. So what I mean by that, no. if that meant, okay, so, so my, my, my question goes to now, do you think that Theo, by giving $20 million to Hamels, do you think he willingly said, you know what, screw this Bryce Harper thing, let's get Cole Hamels to solidify the rotation and figure it out within the organization for the future years? Do you think Theo did that? I don't think so. I would be very surprised. That would be, that would, that would be weird. Yeah, right? I, I would be very surprised yeah. if that was the case. And I and I know that Theo's been intentionally vague about this stuff, but you know he's pointed to particular off seasons and and young, you know, generational talent, so to speak. Um, not necessarily meaning Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, but you know you get that. I just don't. I feel like that would be a weird decision. And I mean, even looking at the rotation, I, I think just from a baseball perspective, that's a weird decision. I, I think that if the Cubs didn't sign Cole Hamels, I wouldn't feel as good about the rotation. But if you swap Hamels for Montgomery, I, you know, I, I'm not looking at the rotation thinking it's a disaster. I think it's fine. It's the same as it was when we went into the last off season. I think it's fine. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I'm. I guess not, I'm saying I think if that indeed was the case, I think that's a very strange decision. I, I think that a, a very significant change to the offense is much more important to this team than adding Cole Hamels back to the rotation. Not that not. I, and I'm glad they added Hamels, and I feel good about the rotation. But I think if that were the trade off, I would find that very odd for a number of reasons. Well, the, so the reason I'm asking that too, as well, is. Evan Altman's report, by the way, Evan Altman, chief uh, chief writer at CubsInsider.com, he reported that the Cubs' financial limitations may not be directly towards the 2019 luxury tax, as we all assumed. Maybe that's extending beyond 2019. And so I guess it's possible that you extend Hamels for one year. That doesn't really affect your ability to, I, I guess, like that doesn't really have a bearing on Bryce Harper because if you're financially restricted in 2020, 2021, then yeah, whatever, go bring in Cole Hamels, try to compete for 2019 and figure it out. Maybe there's, maybe that move is not directly related. Do you, do you kind of see where I'm getting at this? Maybe the Cubs financial restrictions, if they end up being actual restrictions, it's to be determined based on these reports. Maybe that has no bearing on the Cole Hamels thing. Maybe it's like, you know what? They're restricted. Regardless of whether or not they sign Cole Hamels for one year, they will not be able to afford Harper for 2020, 2021, 2022. If that's the case, that sucks. Like that that truly does suck. But I I, I don't think that, I I don't think that we live in a world where Theo knowingly said, you know what? If I sign Hamels, I can't sign Harper. I I don't think that happened. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Again, the, the, you know, kind of, as I said at the outset, you know, we're still in this this off season where, you know, some stuff has happened throughout the MLB, but we still have a lot of unresolved situations as it relates, especially to the free agent market. And we still don't really know what is going on with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, we've heard all sorts of things about the, the budget stuff, the TV deal, et cetera. And we're, we're still operating kind of in the dark here. It, it really seems to depend who you talk to and and when you talk to them. Um, you know, because right. and you know, especially as it relates to Bryce Harper, as the time goes on, the longer he doesn't sign, the more confident I feel that the Cubs have a chance. 
um, simply because... Well, especially with all these reports, too. I mean, well, right, because now we're getting more so and more favorable. reports that, you know, they asked... There was the report that the Cubs and had asked Bryce Harper and Boris to circle back with them. If they did find that they were getting ready to sign a deal with someone else, circle back, right. and the Cubs would let them know if they had moved things around or figured things out to, to ultimately make that work. We had heard a report uh, you know, earlier in the offseason that was kind of the opposite, that, that Bryce Harper wanted them involved and they would, you know, check in uh, to see, you know, just just stay at the table. Don't remove your seat from the table completely. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll see if there's something that, that can be worked out. Um, but also just the general sense that if this was a strict money grab, and it was all about who was going to sign the biggest check. I would tend to think that would have happened already. I know the Dodgers just made, you know, a move, but I don't know that they would be the team offering the most money. And I, you know, would think that a, a team like the Phillies and, you know, maybe the White Sox are, are not playing a lot of games. They've, they've kind of laid out what they're interested in, what they're not interested in. And if it was a strict money grab, you know, it's not going to come from the Cubs, even if the Cubs ultimately make that make the move to get him. So I think the longer we we don't have a signing, I, I think the, the Cubs' chances go up. That's longer for Theo to try to move things around. It's longer for them to talk with Bryce and right. Boris, you know, maybe come up with a, a, a different kind of contract. But again, could all just be a bunch of nonsense. And maybe that first report, you know, when the offseason started that the Cubs don't have the money, it's not going to happen. You know, maybe that's the one that was true all along. We're we're really not going to know, uh, and it'll be very fascinating when we ultimately get some insight uh, into what exactly was going on this off season and what the real situation with the payroll was, because we 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 just right. don't know. Um, but to, to so so, ho, ho, so yeah, sorry ahead. to interject here because I want to continue on that thought because you make up a, uh, a good point there. The longer this does go on for the Cubs, you get more. Uh, opportunities to deal someone like Hayward. Yeah. But the question I want to ask you there is, who do you think is going to sign first, Machado or Harper? Uh, Machado. We haven't really heard any reports saying Harper's meeting with teams directly, as in he's going out there, he's being courted by a specific team. We haven't heard that. Well, we, we heard that he met heard with teams in with, Vegas. Yeah, I know, but that's different from like flying to New York, which, which is what Machado did. Like We know Machado already yeah, met sure. with Philly and New York. Yeah, so I think that's I, so the reason I bring that up because I feel as if Machado's a little bit more advanced in his discussions with other teams, and if that is the case, maybe Boris is like, you know what? Let's wait for Machado to sign. Let's gauge the market after he does sign with a different team, and then use it as leverage or use it as an opportunity to go back to a different team. That could be what's going on as well. Yeah, it's it's very it's a very hard situation to get a read on, and ultimately, it, you know, given the the list of teams that's involved, it, it seems plausible that Manny Machado's decision affects Bryce Harper. Obviously, from a money perspective, of course, it's going to affect it from that. But you know, we've heard a couple of the teams involved in both pursuits. Uh, so obviously if, you know, Manny Machado signs with the White Sox, they may still try to sign Bryce Harper, but obviously, you know, you'd think that that chance decreases, same thing with a team like the Phillies, et cetera. So we'll keep monitoring it, folks. It, it you know, it, it seems to change by the day we, we've gone from, you know, there's no chance the Cubs do this to John Heyman, I think literally today on Wednesday saying he thinks the Cubs have a higher chance than the Dodgers. So, I, uh, you know, yeah. it's a significant uh, opinion too. Yeah, it's it's very 
difficult to keep an exact read on exact you know what's going on here but we'll we'll see another thing uh just because we were talking about that Dodgers Red thing and you mentioned this that the Cardinals are getting better we had talked about uh them getting obviously Paul Goldschmidt in a trade earlier this offseason but they also sign Andrew Miller Andrew Miller, you may remember, gives up a home run to David Ross in Game 7 of the World Series, which the Cubs ultimately win. They did win that, yep. And that's basically it. The the, the Brewers have not done much of anything, but the Cardinals have made, you know, Paul Goldschmidt and Andrew Miller is a pretty significant addition to that team that was already uh, a solid group. And, you know, now you add a, a strong back of the bullpen presence. You have added uh, one of the best first basemen in the league. And, you know, we just talked about the Reds getting a little better at the major league level. So this division appears to be tightening a bit, Brendan. And and so I guess kind of similar to the, that Dodgers question earlier, I, you know, not that I, I don't know that Paul Goldschmidt and Andrew Miller necessarily push the Cardinals to favorites in the division or or something like that. But I, I, I do think that we're now in a scenario where I think last year it was difficult to envision a scenario where the Cardinals had everything go right and won that division. Uh, I, I don't think that's difficult right now. I think when you look at their roster, you know, I, I for me, I would still take the Cubs, but I, I think you're in a reality now where it probably doesn't take much for things to go the Cardinals' way. Do, do you agree, or, or, or where are you on, on, on the NL Central here? I'm concerned. Like, yeah, I'm concerned. I think you look around, and the, the Cardinals made significant moves. Uh, the Goldschmidt move is extremely significant. You added a 6-7 to seven win player. So, yeah, I am concerned. As far as the Andrew Miller signing goes, relievers are finicky, right? So you give Miller all this money, and you're doing so off a year in which he lost a lot of command. He had two significant injuries. You know, anytime you hurt, you hurt your shoulder, that's a significant injury. And Miller is aging. He's going to be, what, 34, I believe is his age now, or close to it. That's, that's not a slam dunk. So I'm on, I guess, catch me on a different day. I may have a different opinion. But ultimately, the Goldschmidt deal for me is the one that put me over the top in terms of my anxiety about the Cardinals. The Miller deal, I can see it kind of backfiring, if, I, if I'm going to be honest. I can really see that backfiring. Yeah, I, I you know, look, I think that obviously if they get a, a good, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see the Andrew Miller that the Indians had again. But yeah. I, I think shoring up the bullpen, if he is able to give them a good season, I think it's it's a, it's a, a good deal for them and, you know, would be a significant help. But I'm glad that the Cubs didn't do it. I, I know that, you know, they had not necessarily been, um, right. you know, significant reports that, that end. But I think I've said on here before that in this particular offseason, I know the Cubs need, you know, perhaps some help in that bullpen. Uh, but this is not a deal I want the Cubs signing. You know, we're, we're literally in an offseason where we're kind of nitpicking past moves and how, well, not really nitpicking, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> criticizing past moves. And, you know, I just don't think that tying up relievers to high, you know, yearly contracts is where this team should be right now. In a different offseason, sure, but 
when we are discussing, like you did earlier, you know, the, the Brandon Morrow contract, the Udarvish contract, the Tyler Chadwood contract, I, I, I don't think they should be adding significant money to the bullpen. I, I just don't think it's necessary uh, or the right course of action for this team right now. So I, I think it's a, it, it will likely end up being a good move for the Cardinals, um, but I, I think probably they're in a position more to take that risk with giving that kind of money to a reliever than than the Cubs are right now if everything we're kind of reading and, and trying to understand about where their payroll is at is is to be believed. So, but yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think we've, I, it'll be interesting to see what the Brewers do the rest of this time because they're going to they're gonna lose some players, you know, some of those guys that they brought over like Mike Moustakis. And you saw the report though, Corey, that the, that the Brewers are maybe financially restricted too did you did you see yeah, that? Kind of yeah. so we'll, we'll yeah. see what's going on there i i think christian yelich is an unbelievable player but let's see if he can repeat that i mean i i do think it's it's similar to Baez to a degree i i disagree there i okay. think yelich can repeat that i yelich is one of the most predictable bats in the league he has high contact he has great play discipline good power so I, I kind of disagree with that there. I think he has a higher Well, I didn't mean to compare them directly. Does. I just meant that you yeah. got two MVP level seasons from those okay. guys. Okay. Yeah. Let's just yeah. see if, you know, because I think at a certain point, Yelich's uh, home run per fly ball rate was literally 50%. Like, the, you know, let's just see if they're able to get it exactly. And really, the only reason I say that, again, not necessarily comparing them directly, but you know, the division was decided by a game. So if either one of those guys is like slightly worse, the division perhaps goes a different way. So all I'm saying right. is let's see if he's able to put the team on, on his back as much if they don't make other changes to the roster and, you know, certain guys don't come back. But the Cardinals have gotten, I would say, significantly better. And it's going to yeah. be tight. It, it's going to be a, a tight division. And, you know, we're we're only a few years removed from the top three teams in the National League Central, uh, all finishing with 97 or more wins. And so, you know, you may be looking at a, a very interesting division next year. And, you know, again, we started this podcast by talking about the Reds getting better. So, you know, there's going to be some pressure on the Cubs. And I think that that is... A, a big reason why I think the negativity or the concern in the the Cubs world is at such a fever pitch because I think that in a vacuum, Theo and Jed talking about internal improvements and, and the talent on this team, et cetera, I think in a vacuum, that's fine. Right. And, you know, we've talked about yeah, how with this group, you know, they, they won 95 games last year. You you get Chris Bryant, uh, one of the best players in baseball, healthy and, and back to performing at his normal level. You hopefully get more than 40 bad innings out of you, Darvish. And, you know, that doesn't mean that they'll win 100 games, but they were talented enough to win 95. You hope some things are better. Some things may be worse. But it's it you know it's it's tough to argue that this isn't a strong group, right? That's in a vacuum. Yeah, I, I, Not in a vacuum. Yeah. You have other good teams in this division, and the Reds are no longer content with being the whipping boy of the top teams in the NL Central, where you can you know play them fifteen twenty times a year and just rack up double digit wins. 
for your total. So I, I, I think that, yeah. you know, these moves, I, I it's tough to say exactly how it's going to play out or, or whether I think, you know, the, the Cubs are this much better or where exactly, you know, the hierarchy is right now. But when you have the rest of your division making moves to try and get better, it, it's going to put pressure on this group. And it and it's going to, I think, increase the concern amongst the fan base that, you know, they didn't win the division last year. And these other teams are not content with, with not getting better. So, it, it, I, again, I, I don't think it's uh, crazy or impossible that, you know, the Cubs do get good performances or improvements out of someone like Ian Happ or Kyle Schwarber and that Javi Baez is able to sustain somewhere close to his output from last year. But I I understand why people don't necessarily want to hear it. And we've talked about that before, where in an ideal world, the Cubs go out. It doesn't have to be Bryce Harper. Whatever you think makes this team better. In an ideal world, the Cubs go out and they spend until there is no question distance between them and anybody else in this division. And in an even more ideal world, there's no question between them and anybody else in the National League. But that's not what's happening. And again, we can complain and freak out about, you know, uh, the the Ricketts family not spending enough money, or did Theo mess up past contracts, etc, etc. We can do that, uh, you know, uh, until we can no longer speak. But Right now, it it that doesn't change that this is what they're doing. This is kind of the situation that they're in, and they may not make that move that 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 provides that significant distance. So yeah, I, I think it'll be it, it's going to continue to be a very interesting off season, and ultimately it will be uh, an interesting regular season because I think as it stands right now, you have two at least two teams in the NL Central that no questions asked have gotten better. They are better teams yeah. than the ones that the Cubs played in 2018, and I don't think, you know, I, I, I think whether the Cubs did or not remains to be seen, because again, you are getting Chris Bryant back, you are hopefully getting you Darvish back, but, you know, does Javi regress, or do other players regress, or do you not get good performances, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and you could still end up around 95 wins, you could end up less, you could end up more. Who knows? But again, a couple teams in this division have gotten better, so the the the, the grip is tightening, so to speak. Uh, you know, uh, around the NL Central. Yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to me, and I've said this multiple times. But if Chris Bryant is healthy next year, if you Darvish gives you 180 innings, the team is going to make the playoffs. That's in my mind. That's a slam dunk. And that's assuming nothing significant happens to Rizzo. Rizzo is one of the most consistent players year in, year out, just like Goldschmidt. So altogether, if KB is healthy, Rizzo doesn't have a significant issue. If Even if Javi is like a three to four win player and you give back a healthy U Darvish, that should be enough. And, you know, we look back at some of these deals over the past few years we didn't have an issue with Hayward when he was signed. Mm-hmm. We liked it. You know, $24 million a year? Yeah, sign me up. Absolutely. You look at the Chatwood deal, $13 million a year for Chatwood, who throws 98, or not 98, like 95 with all that spin movement? Sign me up. Same thing with Darvish, $21 million a year? Absolutely, that's a steal. So you can see the logic when the deals were made. And baseball sucks, man. This is what happens sometimes. Sometimes 
your young guys don't develop uh, on a linear basis like you expect, sometimes your free agent acquisitions get injured or they regress for some unpredictable reason. That is baseball. On the other side, though, baseball can actually go the other way and you can get somewhat lucky. And what I mean by that is, look, I'm going to admit right now, personally, I did not expect Javi to do that last year. And if you did, if you expected Javi to finish second in MVP voting, like I want to be taking whatever you're taking. That that just in my mind never was a likelihood. I knew it was a possibility. You knew it was a possibility. Everyone did, right? The ceiling was high, but you never actually expected that was going to happen in 2018. So I guess my, the point I'm making is baseball is very weird, and if we're gonna if we're gonna pinpoint a reason why we are thinking this way right now. Theo's tone at the end of the press conference after the Cubs lost our wildcard game kind of made fans expect more dramatic moves. And that's, that's perfectly, I think, look, I expected that too. And whether or not you agree with Theo's tone and what he said is a different story, but Theo did take the podium and he said, the offense is broken. He said it's time to evaluate with production, not talent. And in my mind, that meant, okay, goodbye, Hap, right. goodbye, Amora, possibly goodbye, Schwarber. So I can, I can see that thought process. Now, <laughs> I, okay, I, I, kind of, I kind of disagree with that tone. I, I really don't think Theo should have done that. That's a, a, a different discussion. Well, not if he wasn't going to That's a minor issue, moves. I think. Yeah, and I think... Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to like say, "Oh, Theo was wrong here, or whatever." Because ultimately, there's there's no right or wrong in terms of talking to the media like that. But when you say those things, expect the media to follow up right. on that. And you know, over the past year or two, Joe Madden and Theo have been a little bit more, you know, freewheeling with the media, and this is what you get. Yeah. So if you're going to say this, expect it to come back. And I think that's what's happening now. And I do fear that could be an issue going into opening day if no moves are made. Yeah, 100%. I, I do think that feeds into it. Uh, again, I mean, I think you can go back to our podcast after Theo gave that press conference. I would have told you I was 100% sure there was some major shakeup coming to this team, <laughs> just based on what did. he said. Everyone so did. yeah, I do think that that did set the tone for the offseason. And, you know, ultimately, he is responsible for what he said. So he he did sort of set an expectation. The, the last thing I'll say, you know, just on this general everybody in the NL is is getting better. How do we feel about this or, you know, the et, et cetera. The only thing I would say is I think that, that there is some of the tone is, is far too negative. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've yes. seen yes. earnest takes suggesting, oh, the Cubs might be a fourth place team, you know, and in December, right, just outright dismissing the Cubs making the playoffs. Like, come on with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> So I, it, can, it's can, just I inter- not can I interject there too? What'd you say? Yeah, I want I want I, I want to interject there yeah, as well too. I'm doing this a lot recently, but that if, if you're negative about this team, you, you kind of I'm not gonna tell you how to fan or whatever, but really just kind of reevaluate where you are. The reality is the Cubs have one of the most young teams who are wearing World Series rings, and look they will be good for the next four years, guys. They have a strong likelihood of winning the division for the next four years. Not many teams can say that. Yeah. They won 95 last year. Chris Bryant was out the entire year, the entire year basically with an injury. So you kind of have to reevaluate things. And this is where where I think Theo may have potentially made a mistake. 
because you kind of validate everyone's concerns to a degree. Some of the some of the concerns are kind of out there. Yeah. So you got it. Like I, I don't know. I, I know the day is going to be different. I may be negative one day, positive the other day. But ultimately, if you sit back, you look at that FanCrafts page, you look at that roster. Even if you look at that minor league system, which is not rated high. There's a lot to be excited about, and I think we all really should realize that. Yeah, and and again, I, we're both on the make a big move, make this team better train. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, but I, I, I just think there's a difference in understanding this team is not a sure bet to win the division. The, the teams around them have gotten better. There's a difference between saying that and, you know, I wish they were being more aggressive. They do have areas to improve on, but... I think in December, while the off season isn't over and coming off of a 95 win year, I just don't think it's necessary to be dismissed. You know, you're just reading from from <laughs> you know people whose opinions I respect, just dismissing the Cubs making the playoffs uh, or you know bookmarking them for a fourth place or worse finish. I just think that's crazy. And and you know again, like I, we're not sitting here saying, well, you just add Chris Bryant to the 95 wins, right? So they'll win 100 yeah. or 101. No, and we're not. We're not saying. But that. if if Baez isn't exactly how he was last year, or you know the the someone in the rotation isn't as good. Chris Bryant is going to make up for at least some of that. That's the point, is is that the, this right. team with, for, you know, with a, a two-win Chris Bryant had enough talent in it and, and enough go their way to win 95 games. So even if some stuff doesn't go their way, hopefully Chris Bryant makes up for that. Hopefully you Darvish can make up for some of that, right? Or having Cole Hamels yeah. for the whole season can make up for some of that. But again, we're on team make a big move. Get better. Right, no one, yeah, no one on the Harper, Cubs-related yeah, podcast is letting the Ricketts family off the hook. I can assure you of that. This team should be spending money to be the unquestioned favorite in the National League, and they're not doing that. So I get the concern, but within reason is is all I'm asking. Like I, I think December is a little early to be uh, planting the fourth place flag, which I, I'm telling you, I've seen in earnest being thrown around out there. So. Here's what I want to do to finish this podcast, Brendan. Give me uh, your breakdown of Kendall Graveman and the signing, uh, and then we'll have a a quick little debate um, as it related to the 2016 playoffs. Kendall Graveman, this is kind of not related to Smiley. Okay, I I see the parallels. I know you made the parallel. I can see how they're related, but it's different. Here's why. The first reason why is because Smiley was guaranteed $10 million, and you you had $5 million on that luxury tax. Graveman doesn't have that, okay? He's going to get paid the league minimum next year and then upwards to $3 million the following year. So it's a little bit different, a little bit of a lower risk. The reason I like to deal more than Smiley is, one, I've always just liked Graveman's stuff more. And the reason is because he's more of a ground ball pitcher. He has more pitches than Smiley. So I, I, I like to deal more. I know he was never as successful as Smiley, but he had the potential. So when you look at Graveman, one of the key things that separates him from the rest is this release point. So he has a release point that's a little bit lower, a little bit more extended, kind of like that three quarters action, 90% lower than all other righties in Major League Baseball. That change up, the movement, around the same tier, a little bit better than 90% of the league. So you combine this wacky release point, a very effective change up, the first thing you can make an assumption towards is he could be a very successful reliever. Now, for him to be a successful starter, probably needs to add a third pitch, and that's where Hadavi maybe will come in. 
ultimately, am I expecting much from Graveman? No. He has Tommy John. You never know what's going to happen. Now, will I I be surprised if he has a lot of success? Absolutely not. I think the peripherals are very encouraging. Still young. A lot of ground balls. A lot of good movement on that changeup. I can see it working. So overall, I love the deal. I like it more than Smiley because of all those reasons. And by 2020, if he comes back healthy, you're looking at a very viable arm. Kind of like that uh, Mike Montgomery thing. And he has three years of control. That's the other difference from Smiley. So you're looking like at a swing starter reliever that can complement Mike Montgomery. And for that price, sign me up. So I think it's a great deal. Yeah. So the only thing I'll add is just to sort of clarify his situation. Uh, He did have Tommy John in July. So he is, I I only said similar to Smiley in that we're entering the season where the, the, the notion is basically the same. He most likely will not have an effect on 2019 unless his rehab is just uh, super accelerated and and just goes really well. So this is more than likely uh, a move geared toward 2020 or beyond. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any problem with moves like this. And I think one thing to keep in mind in an offseason where, as we just discussed, we're hoping for some more, this move has nothing to do with anything like that. This is not a move where it's like, well, they can't sign Bryce Harper. This is all we can afford. That's that's not what it is. Teams make minor moves like this and, and take uh, risks or, or, you know, place bets basically on players like this all the time, whether they're spending a lot of money or no money. This this move has nothing to do with uh, their, their payroll or their budget or anything like that. This is adding interesting chips into your overall system and hoping it can pay off at some point. That's it. So yep, yep. that's it. That's basically it. So let's finish this. And, and as we, we head toward the new year, kind of wanted to uh, at least talk about something that, that, that was not this off season or budget or uh, Bryce Harper related. Um, and I saw this, this debate kind of starting on Matt Clapp's Twitter feed. I think we've mentioned him before at the blog finds, uh, one of the best, in my opinion, follows for Cubs Absolutely. Twitter. Yep. And the, the debate was this, he, he had, uh, responded to the video of Miguel Montero's grand slam in game one of the 2016 national league championship series. Uh, again, as just a quick reminder, uh, the Cubs would win that series against the Dodgers to win the pennant. And the, the, the question was basically, was that the biggest home run in that playoff uh, in those playoffs. I don't know what I would, what word would have come after that. In those playoffs. Most significant homer of that playoff run. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, no no other rules on the conversation, right? I don't want you to go and look it up by, like, win probability added or anything like that. But I, I think it was an interesting debate as to what what do you think? And again, there's no there's no right answer on this, but I, I thought it was a, a fun thing because I think some immediately come to mind. And I think the ones that, for me, Brendan, jump out immediately, the, the first one that I considered, right, where I was like, is it the Montero one or is it this one, is Chris Bryant's home run in Game 5 of the World Series to tie the game at 1-1. That's the first one okay. that comes to my mind, but okay. I, I I think there's 
definitely other arguments in play. I think that Javi's home run in game one of the NLDS off of Johnny Cueto, a game that the Cubs win one to nothing, is obviously a big deal because that's only a five-game series, right? And who knows how the rest of that game goes if that ball doesn't get out. Um, I think there's what, three home runs in Game 7 of the World Series. I think Dexter Fowler's home run is certainly in the conversation. I think David Ross's home run uh, coming after the Indians had just grabbed two runs. I think that is obviously in the conversation. So I just thought this was uh, a very interesting thought uh, because, you know, the, the Miguel Montero Grand Slam is such a defining moment of those playoffs. And, you know, similarly to that thought I had on Baez, if that homer doesn't go, right, I think the context around that is a lot scarier than any other situation, save maybe Bryant not hitting that home run. But that, you know, that's a one to nothing game. Who knows how that plays out. But if that Montero Grand Slam doesn't get out, right, say he strikes out, say Joe Blanton decides not to throw another slider for some <laughs> insane reason right over the middle of the plate, thank you, Joe Blanton. We'll always be thankful thank to you. Joe Blanton for that decision. If, you know, that's potentially maybe L.A. taking a 1-0 lead in Chicago with Kershaw in Game 2 and then going to LA for three games. So that's a very scary situation to think about. And one that we are afforded the opportunity to think about, Brendan, because the Cubs did win that series. They did win the World Series. And so we don't have to be really scared about uh, these types of scenarios, right? But I guess what was your, I'll, I'll, I think, make a definitive choice by the end of this little debate. But, but what was, what, what is your maybe initial thought on this. Oh, man, it's so hard to pick, Corey. I mean, ugh, I, I think the, man, even trying to pick right now out loud is difficult. I, I, I got to say, I think the most memorable will be the Montero homer. I think the the context, the first game at Wrigley, the NLCS, it was a turning point. But if we're going to look at the most influential homer, I got to go with KB's game five shot. And the reason being is because I was on, I was borderline about to go into a deep bout of depression there if they, if they did not win that game. And you look at that bullpen at the time in Cleveland, they were about to get Andrew Miller warmed up. We were about to go down those four or five any stretches of just high leverage relievers. Right. If KB does not hit that homer, I'm sitting, we're not maybe even sitting here doing this podcast. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Okay. So I think ultimately that KB homer was the most significant. Now, the most memorable homer, you got to give that to Montero, man. You yes. have such great videos. You were there personally, so you can you can experience and, and give your experience about that. And then to follow that up with Fowler's back-to-back shot, I mean, come on. that That's yeah. it right there. I will say, though, I will say, uh, Javi's game one homer against Cueto, uh, like word, I'm, I'm just. I'll disclose this. After he hit that man, like I almost died. Like I, I drank a little bit too much. Not gonna lie, there, almost died. So if if Javi does not hit that homer and you go down 0-1 in that series, who knows what's gonna happen? So I can see the argument from from all sides, but ultimately, if we're gonna pick one as the most influential, and you kind of take away some of the emotion, I know you can't do it, but that homer in Game Five was huge, Corey from Chris Bryant. Yeah, it's it it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting thing to debate. It you know maybe depends on exactly what your uh, 
defining as the biggest. But I, the, the the one thing I would say say on on hobbies in the NLDS is that it maybe has the best story of any of those because that's one of I think uh, multiple times this has happened. But that was one of those times where Strope pulls him aside and literally tells him you <laughs> need to take control yeah. of this game right now. And then Javi goes and hits a home run. Uh, so I just I, I just love stories like that. And again, it's a three-game series. We saw how pesky the Giants were in that series, despite obviously not being the better team. Uh, but, you know, you still had Bumgarner looming in that series if you go down 1-0. And, you know, when when you only have to win three to, to win the series, it you know, it's dicey if you lose that first game at home. So I, I think that I don't think that's the biggest. I, I don't think it's in my top two, but there's I, there's an argument to be made around it for sure. And, you know, I think it also is one of those that's fun to look back on because Javi murders that ball and it barely gets into the basket. So it's just, you know, so, sort of one of those. Did you know that was gone off the bat when you were there? Well, n- Sort of. I mean, I like, could, what was, I what could, was your reaction? So he, he hit I the ball. I could tell that he do? killed it, but I'm, you know, typically a check what the outfielder thinks because he's the one trying to catch the ball. And I, it was probably Pagan in left field for the Giants. You know, he immediately yeah. goes to the wall and kind of looks like he's thinking about catching it. So I think I immediately. Think it was, was it Gregor I, Blanco in left field? I think Pagan was out that series. Honestly, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> somebody on the loser Giants. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But. <laughs> I yeah, so I remember th- obviously thinking he killed that ball, but then looking and thinking like, hold on a second here, like what do, you know, like this guy seems to be acting like he's catching this ball, uh, so let's see. That that was my reaction to that. But um, on the Montero one, since you just brought up being there, I, I would it, it's tough because it was obviously uh, a good bit of years apart. But the only other. I, I think event at Wrigley Field I could compare that to uh, was Kerry Woods Homer in Game Seven of the 2003 NLCS. I, both you weren't there for that though, were you? Uh, I was there for that. Yeah, you were there. Wow. Yeah, wow. Okay. I was there for that, and I would say that both of those were like best described as right. Like this place is up for grabs right now. Like the floor is shaking, the roof is shaking. Like I, you know, this this could turn into a riot if everybody felt like it right now. <laughs> So those two moments for me, like, are are pretty far and away um, just the most, like, electric reactions to something that I've ever seen. And, and, I, and I think that the, 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 the argument here, honestly, I, I, I wouldn't put the Game 7 ones in there. I know that seems kind of crazy because um, like, Fowler's, I think, is in this conversation just because – you know, obviously everybody is on pins and needles when you start a game seven of the World Series. And that just, you know, has that like, oh my God, like what a start. Like not only are the Cubs like not necessarily gonna just like lay down and die here as they're trying to come back from a 3-1 deficit, but like what a start, like especially off Kluber who they hadn't hit the whole series. So I I think it's in there, but I, I just, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's just easier to go back to the early ones and, and make the argument that, you know, maybe you don't even get there if that doesn't happen. So I, I'm not sure I would put that in there. Um, the thing about the Montero one is that that has such a feel of this is Let's the Cubs go. year. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yep. And, you know, so does the Javi one to a degree, but that's game one of the first round. So you, you just know that there's so much left to be done. 
And, you know, really, that only made that game one to nothing. Obviously, you have Chapman coming in, so you're assuming the game is over, but big difference between Montero's, it makes it eight to four, uh, you know, rather late in that game. So you're, you're assuming that that's basically a game winning home run. The Javi one, you're, I, I thought that, but you're not positive, right? But that Montero yeah. one just has the feeling of, you know, we've watched this team all year be the best in the league. And they're doing it like they are in the National League Championship Series and they're they're the ones, you know, having these big moments, this big party at Wrigley Field that, you know, starts as soon as that ball leaves. Like, so I think that that was the first that was the first game one NLCS victory of our lives. Think about it, right? Like in yeah. 2003, they lost that first game. And it, it just, to, yeah, it just had yeah, that I mean, feel it, yeah. of like, they're, this is the team. Like, this is the team. They're going to do it. Like, it, it just had such that feel to it that I, that I think that's what makes this a tough choice. But they just need that, that Chris Bryant home run had to leave. It had to leave. They, they, they can't get into that Cleveland bullpen. And, you know, you know, you're down 3-1, you're at home. We've, I, I think most of us have probably been at a game at Wrigley Field where, you know, the 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 funeral feel sort of takes over the entire stadium. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> each inning that goes by down one to nothing, you get closer to that bullpen. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I, that, that homer just had to leave. And, you know, that that gave them hope. It kept them in it. And, you know, we all saw how that played out. So it's, it's a tough, it's a tough argument. I, but I, I think that I do tend to lead towards, uh, that Chris Bryant one, but there, there's just such so you, a you strong argument for that moment of Montero's because I, I, I really think that that was probably the moment of those playoffs, uh, where it really was just cemented like the, the Cubs are here. They were the best team all year and, this is this is the group that's going to do it. It just it just it really encapsulated that whole feeling. And also, what's underrated too, and maybe you mentioned it, and I just missed it, but KB's game six homer in the first inning. You know, yeah, you go to Cleveland, sure. yeah, man, you go to Cleveland. You're you know the first two batters get mowed down. Cleveland's a hot environment, and then boom, KB literally Absolutely. blasts one, probably yeah. one of his highest hit homers of his career, if I had to imagine it. And he puts him on board. Next thing you know, the Cubs don't look back. And yeah. I think that one is underrated. I don't think it's as important as, you know, Miggy's homer or whatever. I mean, they're actually, no. they're all important, but. Yeah, no, um, and I mean, but, and, yeah. you know, the, we're, we we haven't mentioned every homer. I mean, I, I think there's certainly an argument, you know, when you're looking back at everything in, in those playoffs to be made for multiple Addison Russell home runs. I think that the, the Grand Slam. Yeah is a big deal. I mean, cause that's just sort of cements that game six game, uh, game five. It, in it LA. probably should have given a Chapman some extra rest, but we're not going to relitigate that here <laughs> right now. Uh, and I, yeah, I think the, in, in, against the Dodgers, uh, his home run, certainly, you know, you could make the argument, but I, I don't think it, it really cracks that, that top tier of, uh, sort of playoff defining moments like it was. It, 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 it's interesting to go back and think about all that because one thing it reminds me of is how interesting it is that we don't really remember um, Chris Bryant's game tying home run in, what is that, game three in San Francisco? Uh, in the <laughs> yeah, Bumgarner yeah. game. I mean, that almost, you know, you could, you know, that almost 
could have been the the the, the home run of the series. Uh, you know, because he gives them a chance to to come back Barely and win that gets game. Out too. You could. I, again, they lose this game, so both of the the homers in that game kind of fall by the wayside. But let's not forget, Jake Arrieta hit a three run home run off of Madison yeah. Bumgarner in the and playoffs. At, at that point, I thought it was over. I think everyone yeah. in the world thought that was over. So you know, there, there's there's some arguments to be made for a lot of these, but I, I think in 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 my in my overall ranking of things, I think it's it's very narrow at the top. But I I probably go Chris Bryant. In Game Five of the World Series, Miguel Montero in Game One of the uh, NLCS, and then Javi in Game One of the NLDS is probably how it goes. But I, you I know, again, with like that, with yeah. other things, I, I think on a different day you could probably convince me of something else. And I, I mean, really, if if, if I, I'd be curious, um, you know, if 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 you're listening to this and want to throw in your opinion, I'd love to hear it because I I, I really do think that there's a significant argument. If you if you were listening to this and said you guys are crazy, it's Dexter Fowler's leadoff home run, and there's no question about that. I I don't I, you know I wouldn't think that that's nuts. I, I would be like, yeah, there's there's a pretty strong argument for that, and it uh, you know maybe we're we're being too flippant about the fact that he literally hit a a leadoff home run to start Game Seven of the World Series. But yeah, what, what are we thinking here? I mean, Fowler's got to be a little bit higher now that I think about this. But I, look, I don't know. Again, it's one of those things that if I, I I'll change my <laughs> I, opinion. I, yeah, on I don't know. I mean, basis. I think it's. I, it's tough. It's tough. I, mean, Corey, I think it's think, tough. Think about it. Like we we are debating and we're admitting that a game seven World <laughs> Series leadoff homer is we're quite not, literally is not taking the most... that for granted. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. With that in mind, I'm changing everything. That's, that's got to be that. It's got to be that. I'm. I. I mean, come on. That's. I. We grew up hoping for a moment like that, and now we're gonna be like, oh, it's not the best. It I, I think be the best. that the. I think that the Bryant homer in Game Five, even more than the other ones, I think is the home run that I look at and I go, if that one doesn't get out, none of this happens. I think and they I, lose that I, game, and I don't even okay. think they go back to Cleveland. Oh, man. It's hard. Yeah, I guess. I mean— Do you oh, think that Indians God. fans have the same conversation, but it's all hypothetical? I think the Indians fans don't talk anymore. <laughs> I don't think that's right. <laughs> I mean, imagine. Like, seriously, imagine if you have, like, the Indians-related podcast. That well, and podcast now they're shipping off exist other talent. Yeah. Oh, my God. You yeah. look at the Indians right now, man. You're trading Cleveland. It's a darker timeline. blown— we oh, were so close man. to that, you guys. That's why it's we fun to so... talk about. We were so close. I remember because I, I had this conversation uh, with my brother, and yeah. I don't remember where he landed. I, I think he was on Montero. Um, he's also uh, – uh, he was always a, a very big Dexter Fowler supporter, so he may have been on the, the Dexter Fowler leadoff home run train. But I, I just – remember like the, the 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 thought process while I was sitting at Progressive Field during that rain delay and it's uh it's fun to revisit now but it there's some some very you know that was a dark what were you doing during that just I can tell there, so I mean like, seriously, I mean I, I remember the literal thought anything? process I was I, I remember the literal thought process was in no universe did I ever think I knew they could lose the World Series. I knew this this whole dream could come to an end. I never thought it could be any worse than what we've seen before. I genuinely, I genuinely had never considered that. I, I, I don't think I, I, I had never considered that. Oh, oh my God! They're, they're not only could they blow this, but they're going to do it worse than they ever have before because they were yeah. winning Game Seven of the World Series by what four runs. 
I never yeah. considered that. So during the rain delay, I'm thinking, I, I can't believe that that just happened. I, I can't believe that this is like, this will be the worst, the worst one, even of, of, of the ones before this. I, I, I just had never thought about that. So I was, I uh, genuinely questioned whether I could do this again. I like, I mean, for the oh, 100%, first, like, for what the, do you, what do you do the next yeah. day? Oh, well, spring training's in a couple months. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely questioned, can I do this again? And I mean, it's significant that you and I spend too much, too much time watching this team, talking about this team. And so for us, for me to say that it's, it's significant. Yeah. And like the, the problem is, uh, if I did not go into work that day for a particular reason, there is a strong likelihood I would not have been able to sustain that current position. Let's put it that way. So I was, you know, during that rain delay thinking to myself, oh my God, forget it. I'm done. I'm, I'll, I'm not going into work. I'm not doing this. I can't do it. Right. It, it really would have put me out, guys, if they lost that game. And so thank God for Schwarber. Thank God for uh, for Amora tagging up. Thank God for Zobras, everyone. Because that quite literally could have changed the trajectory of, I hate to say it, but a lot of the stuff that happened yeah. after that. And because it, it always seems to not come up in these uh, conversations. But lest we forget that the technical game-winning hit is also by Miguel Montero, not Ben Zobrist. Yeah. So I uh, always like to make sure that gets in there. But And then Hayward follows up, striking out with the bases loaded. Like of all times to strike out, you're striking out with the bases loaded. You can, you like, you're hitting, yeah. you know, choppers like Rafael Nadal the entire year. You can't make contact right there. Yeah. Give me a break. That's a different story, but whatever. But instead of living in that dark reality we all considered, we are here two years later talking about which home run was the most important to the Cubs <laughs> winning the World Series. So mm-hmm. it seems as though Brendan has worked himself here into uh, Dexter Fowler's leadoff home run being his choice. I'm going to stick with Chris Bryant in game five. Yeah, I, I got to go with I got to go with Dex. I, I really final, think final you could decision. make a, a pretty significant argument, probably every direction uh, for, for those home runs, because obviously those playoffs really in all of those scenarios play out differently uh, because most of the home runs we were discussing were, you know, pretty pretty tight games and, and really swinging the balance of, of series and games one way or another. So uh, it was an interesting debate. I thought that that would be kind of a nice way to kind of balance out all the off-season discussion and, and, and the rumor mill. But uh, I think other than that, I, I think that that's, that's all we have for you. As uh, I think we may have discussed before, uh, always appreciating, obviously we're coming to you not necessarily on our normal Monday, but we were kind of thinking for those of you that celebrate Christmas, um, I wouldn't recommend listening to Brendan and I on a on a holiday when, when you're with your family, but <laughs> hey, if, if that's your pleasure, we appreciate that. So we figured we'd just do it on Wednesday, let you guys uh, enjoy the holiday and, and not hear us droning on about Bryce Harper and uh, the rumor mill. But... I think we're going to uh, try to record on Sunday so that you can get that New Year's Eve and, and, and New Year's started uh, right with exactly what I just said would have ruined your holiday. But uh, again, that'll that'll be uh, up to you. And as always, you know, we don't know how all of this is going to play out if we have to get on earlier or again shortly after. We will we will figure that out. But I think for now, we're, we're going to try to be back on that uh, every Monday schedule. But other than that, as always, we we thank you guys for listening. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R instead of Blog Talk Radio. 
And if there is another medium that you prefer listening to your podcasts, you can let us know and we will do our best to get on there. We continue to get those uh, iTunes store reviews, which are very nice and we appreciate that. Uh, It does help the podcast get seen a little bit more. Uh, But other than that, I think that's all we have for you. Again, I hope you guys had a good holiday season, whichever uh, you celebrate. And uh, I think we'll talk to you around the new year. But uh, if we don't or you don't listen or however it goes, uh, we hope you guys had a good 2018 and a good 2019. And uh, we will continue to talk about the Chicago Cubs with you. And as always, we thank you guys for giving us the opportunity to do that. So uh, until then, we will talk to you guys soon. We thank you guys for listening. And uh, whether they are playing or not, as always, go Cubs.